You're very welcome to the Top 5 Books podcast. Today's guest is the Professor of Biochemistry in the School of Biochemistry and Immunology at Trinity College Dublin, Luke O'Neill. Luke, uh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Shane. Um, listen, before we get to your choices, and there's some really interesting choices, look, you're... Um you're a bright man, I think it's fair to say. Allegedly, some yes. Would, some, <laughs> would, some would say genius. Um, <laughs> oh, geez, you're never in trouble. <laughs> uh, so I'm guessing books, you've probably read them. Oh, I've devoured them from an early age. Yeah, uh, Very tough to pick five, you know, yeah, no, oh, sure. since I was a tiny kitty, all right, yeah, and uh, endless reading and all was the it time. Always, like, obviously, you're from a science background, but was it always kind of science that froze no, your boat? Or was no, it? you see, you've got to be a renaissance man like yourself. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. You know. I'm a renaissance man without, without a genius. <laughs> no, it was everything, you know, and, and then I got, as I got older, the science bug bit me in school you know doing biology really and, but they even search strategies that got me and then I began doing more science but the great if you're a scientist you see you can read everything because you can understand some of the science you know and some yeah. of the terminology whereas other people get put off but there's nothing clever about science really I mean the words are the jargon is the tricky bit you know but in general terms science books are as good as any other Now you you loved English literature when you were I school. did it was my best subject in school yeah really and when I meet my old mates from secondary I went to Presbury by the way let's give a shout out for Pres I meet my old mates and they go how did you ever become a scientist because <laughs> yeah. their memory is me reading my essays in class and Stuff, you know, they thought so you'd be a kind of Joycean scholar. They, they or thought I might be a journalist. You never know. Oh, really? like yeah, so they oh, wondered. You know. journalist you, all right. you never know. Yeah. And then I think it was my dad's influence. He got me to read Shakespeare and Dickens as a teenager. He loved all that you see. And I think and, and when I began doing science, he was devastated. <laughs> <laughs> he was, and when I was doing my finals in biochemistry, he gave me a big huge history book. He said, Read that, would you? you know? It's not too late. Yeah, forget this other <laughs> science thing. So I guess I was always kicking around to read literature as well, you see. I love that idea of you doing biochemistry and everyone saying, Dear Dad, you must be so proud. Well, yeah, kind of. That's right. I true Irish father. Was doing history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> funny in there. Okay, listen, let's get to some of your choices. And um, as you would expect, there's a science bent, but you know, there's, there's, there's variation in there as well. But you start with, I suppose it's fair to say, one of the greats of 20th century physics and somebody who's quite well known in this country as well. The book is uh, Schrodinger, Life and Thought by Walter Moore about, of course, the great Erwin Schrodinger. Why is it? It's a biography. It's a biography, it? yeah, yeah. And they say it's one of the best biographies of a scientist ever written. That well, good. You know, now, it gets a bit heavy. There's a bit of science and equations in it, you know, and you yeah, get see, put off. Like, but do, you, do you need to know the quantum mathematics or skip, mechanics skip, and skip stuff? Those to, bits, yeah. Skip those bits. <laughs> okay. It's his life as well. It's shown a very fascinating yeah. guy. Well, really interesting life. The, absolutely. Very interesting. And of course, he came to live in Dublin, you know, in 1940. Yeah, De Valera brings him to Ireland to be director of the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies. And not only... Not only that, and we'll, we'll get to the science bit in a minute, but this is the juicy bit. He arrives as part of a menage a trois. Yeah. And like, De Valera, you know, he, he's no Egypt, presumably knows this. And oh, he kind of goes, ah, oh, well, sure, live and let live. Well, it's an Despite Irish, all this stuff about Catholic dev and all that. It's an Irish solution, it's an Irish problem. How do you attract a Nobel Prize winning physicist to come to Ireland? You turn, you turn a blind eye to his, <laughs> his other habits, I suppose. Yeah, but, And he'd gone to Oxford before, and they frowned upon it. He was kicked out of Oxford because he was there with his wife and mistress, you see. They didn't like it. <laughs> and De Valera here is always available. Gets him into He sends two IRA men, amazingly, to Rome to get him to sequester him away, you know, and stuff. It's a real adventure story here, and he ends up in Dublin. And he loves Ireland, Schrodinger. He's a great time here. He loves the Irish. Stays for what, 17 years? 17 years. He's in Ireland. He's living in Clontarf in Kinkora Road. There's a plaque on the wall of the house. um, My first house when I was born. Oh, is that right? Very good. He's a blue plaque on the wall there. Schrodinger lived here for 17 years with his wife and mistress. Now, he had an open marriage. Let's make this clear. His wife didn't seem to mind, strangely. No, in fact, I think she... 
dabbled as well. Oh, she did. <laughs> with the classic continentals, you see. They were, they were, they were very open in their marriage. And um, he, he gets the mistress pregnant, you see. And then she has the baby. And then they all go to Dublin together. And they bring the, the two women bring Ruth up. And I've met the daughter, the daughter actually. Uh, Ruth Brown, it's her. And they bring her up in Clontarf. And she's very fond memories of Ireland. So that side of his life is certainly a bit different I, from most people. I only wish my, uh, my mother was still alive. I could ask her all about it. I'm sure they lived down the road. Yeah. Them, so, yeah uh, exactly. um, now, why was he so brilliant? And yeah, but, why is this book so brilliant? Well, he's one of the big geniuses of the 20th century. He, he worked on quantum physics. He's one of those big made of Einstein, you know, and he, and he discovers this so-called wave equation, which explains the, the uh, quantum world. Now, it's beyond many of us, of course. But then secondly, in 1943 in Dublin, he gives a lecture called What is Life in Trinity? And this starts the DNA revolution. He was a physicist wondering about life. And he inspires all these physicists to go into biology. And then the, the structure of DNA is discovered. And, and Crick and Watson are the guys who discover that. And Crick writes him a letter in Kinkora Road. Dear Dr. Schroeder, the address is Kinkora Road. We read your book about your lectures. We were inspired by you. you know. And we see that now, that lecture, What is Life, is the key starting point for, for all the great triumph of biology in the 20th century. And it happened in Trinity. So that's the other thing that we like about him. I know you're not a religious man. I've heard you speak about this that's before. Right. Is What is Life, is that your kind of Bible? Well, absolutely. This is the thing, you see, and Schrodinger himself wasn't that religious either. He was into kind of um, cosmic, you know, kind of uh, the whole world view of pantheism and stuff himself, you know. Yeah. But what is life is a purely scientific question, yeah. We don't, we don't question the God thing at all, and Schrodinger was similar. You know, he doesn't go into that. Is it harder, um, we're, we're getting slightly off track here, but I'm curious, is it harder to be religious if you're a scientist? It's impossible in my view. And some of my great friends who are scientists are very religious, so they aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. But you're keeping two contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time. Science needs data, you know. We live and die by the experiments. There's no proof of a God, really. You know, I mean, you might think there might be, but there isn't. You know? yeah. So if you're a scientist, how can you believe in God would be one argument. You might be agnostic and say, if suddenly Jesus appears in front of me, then I'll believe in him, you know. But there isn't the evidence there. So being a scientist then makes it more difficult, I think. Okay, um, Douglas Adams famously wrote The Secret of Life was 42. Yeah, is that um, great? Does Schrodinger have a, have a better answer in uh, what is life? He doesn't. He calls molecular collisions. His life is all about mole- molecules colliding off each other. You know, he, and, uh, he, he did a bit of molecular collision. He did, he, did, he did indeed. Yeah, you know, he had three children in Ireland as well, Shane, with uh, various women. It's, it's amazing. You know, and again, his wife seemed to think this was okay. And again, like people keep going on about this art, the very narrow, straight-laced, puritanical Ireland, but there was all sorts of things going well, on. Well, classic, there. isn't it, Shane? Showing a love that about the Ireland, the grey, the grey area, nothing black or white in Ireland, he said once. He said the Austrians are very strict, you know. Yeah. The Irish, I like them, because they realise life is more complex, and he loved that about us, really. Okay. Could I read this book? You could, absolutely. Now, you can skip the equations parts, I'd recommend. More himself as a chemist, you see. But the, the, he does it very cleverly. He kind of juxtaposes his discoveries with, uh, you know, his real-life story of Schrodinger, which is a wonderful tale in itself. Okay, great first choice. Uh, Schrodinger, Life and Thought by Walter Moore. Let's get to your second choice, which, again, is kind of, I suppose, in keeping with your training and, and your, your main passions. Sapiens by uh, Yuval Harari. That's right, yeah. Now, again, this is... It's basically a brief history of humankind. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's yeah. actually the subtitle that, that, of That's the book. what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, but yeah, I've, I haven't read this book, but I've, I've heard it described as kind of swashbuckling and uh, not, not a word you would, you would sort of associate. But I suppose it's a fascinating story. It's a great story. He's a great writer as well. I, I read this book it was two years ago now. I think it's a massive bestseller. Everybody's read lots of it, read Sapiens. It's a wonderful account of how we evolved, basically, you know, and it's a great detail. In 400 account. pages. In 400 pages, exactly. Yeah. And, and he's marvelously, you know, erudite. He talks about a human 
homo's arrive in Africa 200,000 years ago, sapiens emerges as a species. And then how do we get to where we are now? We're taking over the whole planet, complex politics and religion and all kinds of things. And he goes into all of that great story. The various story. revolutions, yep. agriculture, cognitive, right. um, up to the present day. The present, yeah, and the scientific revolution, of course, and the enlightenment and all that kind of stuff, you know. But it's very accessible, Shannon. It's a beautifully written book, you know, and anybody, anybody could read it really and be really turned. I mean, I, when I recommended it to people, they go, thanks for recommending it. It was the best book they read in a while. Really? You know? Oh, yes, it's really well done, you know. Now, he goes into kind of the future as well and, you know, us being replaced by cyborgs and stuff. Now, yeah. that sounds more like science fiction to me than science, but maybe am I wrong? Well, it's happening. Artificial intelligence is the yeah, next big yeah, thing for enough. us, you see, in robotics. I mean, the first place we'll see is driverless cars. That's the first place you'll notice real robots on the streets, kind of, you know. And then he says, we will now enhance our minds with computers more and more, and the future of humanity will be AI coupled, like the Borg. You know, remember that thing? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of that idea, you know. It's man and machine being combined here and that he predicts that's the, that's the next phase and his, his second, his next book actually is on that, you know, he kind of builds on the next book. But this book is mainly up to this point where we are today, I guess, is the main focus. From what I've read about this book, it also seems to be quite philosophical and I mean, it's talking about immortality rather than immortality. I, yeah. The difference is immortality, you, you can still be killed by, by violence. Or that's whatever. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a frightening concept but it raises the point which I hadn't actually thought of that immortality could make us become incredibly cautious and yeah. death would be a much bigger deal and it would kind of stifle our creativity and yeah, our, yeah. maybe our sense of fun as well. Well, that's right. Well, he, he kind of is, he's not, no, he's not religious, but life is sacred is one idea here. We're very special. Life on earth is a very special thing to evolve. You know, and us humans are the, are the culmination of all these millions of years of evolution. So that's right. He goes on about the preciousness of life from that angle, I guess. But he's, the book is famous because he, he draws together philosophy, history, geography, all the science, all the areas of what a university does. In many ways, this book could be called What a University Shall Be About because it's all human human knowledge and human learning and experience stuck into one book. And he explains politics through science, religion, you know, agriculture. He goes into in great detail and, and, and then science as well. So it's a, it's a real kind of combination of different subjects all together in the one book. Uh, which is interesting. I, I want to hear you talking about it. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm going off track here, but um, I have this view and uh, you know, you, I'm sure you have more developed views on education than I do. But just instinctively, I have this view about education should stay as broadening the mind and when I hear people calling for things like coding in schools I now, and, and people tell you me cringe. I'm wrong and I don't, <laughs> but I do cringe for, rightly or wrongly I cringe yeah. what, you, what's your take I'm, on I'm with you entirely keep it as broad as possible and then you've got to specialise eventually and become an expert in something if you do a degree eventually yeah. you're an expert in X you know? we're not just but creating economic units by no means that's the, the education shouldn't be about training people for an economy that, that's the least function of education in my yeah. view in many ways it should be just to bring the strengths out of the individual you know, and get them to learn and get them to study and all that stuff's part of it you know? but ultimately this book really speaks to that idea that the broader we can go the better education to, to help people lead a full life is the idea really you know? Okay, uh, my guest is the brainiest man I've ever shared a dinner party with, uh, Luke <laughs> O'Neill of uh, Trinity uh, College By the way, sorry, we should mention in, in relation to uh, Yuval Harari's book you've got a book coming I out. I do, I do, uh, it's a great shape. Which is kind of not a million miles away no, in terms it's inspired of the subject matter it's, His book inspired mine in some ways, it's called Humanology, it's all about the science of being human, now it goes into more things than Harari otherwise they'd accuse me of plagiarism I guess Give, us a, little, give us a little flavour <laughs> Well it's what makes us human and it's the science of music one of my great things, what, what makes us musical what gives us a sense of humour there's a chapter on the sense that humans are unusual we laugh a lot you know and then we go I go on about ageing you know the ageing process and death or extinction isn't that cheery you know so, so it's everything from the origin of life 
to our eventual demise as a species, done scientifically, and Fantastic. hopefully with the odd joke here and there. Exactly. And actually, one of the things that was really piqued my interest about uh, Harari's book is he talks about how we, how we learned to gossip. We did, absolutely. Humans, Very important, I just gossip. Think, I just, like, was there, who was the first person ever to gossip well, I just love this idea he's of, uh, great on that and the white lie Shane is very important we tell little lies you know <laughs> as you know yeah, yeah. I don't even need <laughs> to talk how much lying <laughs> yeah. goes on but, you don't need but, to tell but me. the lying is tactical you see you can justify it by you know like if your wife asks you do I, do I look big in this you go no you don't darling <laughs> that's, that's a tactical lie you know? so we're very good at that the gossiping and, and that's how we succeed as a species we're, we're very sociable you see and that's how we he's on, that's his big theme is the social nature of humans is what, what's successful you know when is your book coming out? It's out in September. Okay, yeah. I, 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 whatever about I, I will, I will try and read yeah. *Sapiens*, but I'm definitely going to read your book when it comes out in the autumn. Let's get to your third choice. Uh, it's a. Uh a less well, I was going to say it's a less scientific choice, but you're you're now going to tell me I'm wrong, and there is loads <laughs> of science in it. It's a very famous book. It's been mentioned, referenced here a few times. It is, of course, a Ulysses you get away by from James it. Joyce. You can't. We had Stephanie Prizner on our recent pi- podcast, and she said. I just don't get Ulysses. She said, is it the emperor with no clothes? She said, I've tried to read it a million times and I just can't. But you, maybe, maybe you need to be a, yeah. a genius like you to get well, to the Well, Ronnie Doyle said something great, and he said he, he needed a good editor. You know, yeah. <laughs> if Ulysses <laughs> had been edited down, it'd be better. Is, is Ronnie's view, and that's like that's isn't that that's blasphemy? To yeah, some people, that's heresy for some people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I got into it, Shane, because I was no, because it's a bit pretentious. I, I was worried about this, you know. Oh, Ulysses, you know. But I read a huge fan. I've read it four or five times, if you can believe, and I, I dip into it a lot. Sorry, you've read four or five. Now, I've over read, the years, in over fairness, the years, I've read it about fifteen times, but I never got beyond page twenty. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, exactly. Well, there's some bits I wouldn't read. That's too heavy. But um, no, I was in London. I, I did my PhD in London. I left Ireland in the mid '80s in those dark days. Remember the mid ages? Yeah, yeah. Nothing. You know, half my class emigrated. It's got to happen in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Went to London. Got homesick, and I'm in the library. I lived in in North London. Went to my local library. Couldn't afford to buy books as a student, and I, I borrowed Ulysses from the library. So I figured I'd give it a go. I'm from Ireland, you know. And, yeah. And I began reading it, and then I was caught. You know, the trouble is the first two chapters are fiercely difficult. You see, as a view. So if if, if you start and you go, I can't, I can't go on. You know, by the time you get to chapter four, it's Leopold Bloom is the hero making breakfast for his wife in his kitchen and just thinking thoughts and walking up and down the stairs and he buys a kidney famously, you know. And remember, I read reading Nabokov, that famous writer who wrote Lolita. He said, those three pages of that chapter are the best literature ever written. He says. Really? Yeah. That's one example. You know? yeah. So in other words, the skill of Joyce as a writer got me immediately after getting through the tough first couple of chapters and then I was off, you know. And then once you get into Bloom's thoughts and his stream of consciousness and all that kind of thing, you know, it's brilliant. You know, talk about an evocation of the human condition is what Ulysses is. So I was going to ask you, and I think you maybe answered this question already, was it a love affair with Ulysses or was it a love affair with Dublin that inspired this book? Because, I mean, I'm sure as a scientist you had offers to go to many universities abroad you didn't take them you stayed here yeah, so exactly is it a yeah. bit of, is it a bit oh, it of that is. as well, well I, we're walking the streets when I go into work in the morning I go past Sweeney's Chemists you know the famous yeah. and that's in Ulysses you know there's the church there in Western Row and uh, and I, we're, we're constantly if you read the book and you know it you're constantly going by these landmarks that Joyce wrote about which is brilliant you know so that's definitely part of it and I'm very proud actually as an Irish person that, that we have the greatest writer of the 20th century bar none they all agree that that book is the, probably the most important book of the 20th century 
century, written by an Irish guy. Now, because when you're an immigrant in England, you love that. that you, know, you remind them, hey, yeah. hang on, you think we're a bunch of thick paddies. <laughs> We've got Joyce in our back pocket. Yeah. Just, you know, it's a good card I have to, to play. Say that that's part of it, I suppose. Yeah. Is there science in Ulysses? Well, that's the beauty of it. Loads of science. See, Joyce was a bit of a, a polymath himself, you know. He read huge amounts of things. His mission in Ulysses was emotional and, you know, artistic, but also scientific because he describes the state of the art of science. Can you believe it, Shane, in Ulysses? Does think the third last chapter is very scientific, you know. And then my own area, he talks about the immune system. He talks about serum, white corpuscles, and our understanding of, of immunology in, in the 1900s. He captures it amazingly. So he must have read these books, you know, these science books himself, and, and, he, and he brings it out in Ulysses. So if you're a scientist, it's great as well. My editor, my producer, uh, stuck up a line that Joyce said here. He said, for myself, I always write about Dublin because if I can get to the heart of Dublin, I can get to the heart of all the cities of the world. In the particular is contained the university. Absolutely. That's a pretty scientific statement. Absolutely. Itself, well, it? you see, a friend of mine, a psychiatrist, Shane, in American Boston, was, have you read Ulysses? Yes. And he read it himself. And he said to me, Luke, this is the best account of the human condition he's ever read. Every human psychological trait is in Ulysses. There's all these characters. There's jealousy, envy, lust, you know, a passion. That was Joyce's mission. And this psychiatrist guy said he used it to teach his students now the different types of personalities, you know. And Joyce's insight into the human mind was massive. Probably because of his father, by the way, was a very important guy to him. And his father was a rate collector in Dublin. And as a teenager, he used to bring Joyce around collecting rates. And that's when Joyce saw these humans, you know, poor people, rich people and, and his father was hugely influential so he learned psychology as a teenager in many ways and then it comes out in Ulysses as well so that's the other bit that's fascinating I think Okay let's go from the sublime to the ridiculous and I mean I mean that as a compliment actually to this next book because your, your next choice I think will surprise many people. The Gospel According to Blind Boy. And by Blind Boy, yes, we do mean... The man himself. The man himself. The man himself. Uh, yeah. From the rubber bandits. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Why this choice? Have you read it? No. It is the best book I've read in really? the last five years. Yeah, by, by no, bar it got, none. It got rave reviews at the bar time. Bar none. It is the most surreal, wild, wacky, absurd collection of short stories short story ever written. Yes, yeah. 15 short stories. Now, I've met Blind Boy, had the honour to meet him a couple of times, and, and he's a fantastic fellow, you know, brilliant, you know. And he, he he knows science. Interesting. He was in my lab. They filmed in my lab once. There were bandits. They came around the lab one day and made a little movie and he made great jokes. That was where he spoke about the first joke. He said, is, is, is the Eucharist the haunted, is it haunted bread? He called the Eucharist, you know. Which lab. caused a bit of a stir. And he, he said that to me. In the lab. So he's, he knows a bit of science as well, which is good, you know. Yeah. But this book is, is satire at its highest level. So is he, and this is going to sound terribly pretentious, is he the James Joyce of the 21st century? He is. Century? Well, yeah, again, you, you, don't, you, you don't know overdo it, I suppose, but he's up there. And he's up there with Swift, Jonathan Swift and Flann O'Brien. And, and it's not exaggerating to say that he, he's, he's the natural sort of descendant of those. And I'm sure he's read those guys, by the way. I bet he has. Because you, sure you can yeah. see it coming out in the book, you know. And Jonathan Swift is interesting. Shannon, I've mentioned him. There's, there's, there's a chapter, one of the short stories is about these dodgy scientists in Cork and Maynooth. And they've realised that the Cork accent, uh, the flycatcher bird hates the Cork accent. So they build a machine with this guys in the back of it on a microphone with their whiny Cork accents. Fueling, and, fueling yeah, the machine. The and, and the flycatchers come in, right? Right? And then the flycatchers have a parasite infection and they want to try and save them. And then they douse them with an anti-parasitic chemical and the flycatchers are saved. Now, have you ever heard a more ridiculous <laughs> sort of scenario? 
a way to handle a parasite in a bird that a guy may knew to discover this parasitic worm. Yeah. Now, now Swift does that in, in Gulliver's Travels, you know, he's got a, all these scientists trying to extract sunlight from cucumbers, you know. So I saw direct lineage with Swift taking the mickey out of academics, really, which is wonderful because that's the job of the satirist. You know? I, I'm, I'm curious, just as you were talking, I, I was thinking, I mean, are scientists, does the absurd appeal more to you than to other people, do you think? That's very insightful, and it does. Well, scientists love Monty Python. You know, we, we become yeah. a bond and things, you know. But why is that? Because I would have thought you'd be, you know, rational, and, or yeah. is, it, is it almost your alter ego or something? Well, or? Sure, what science is about is, is discovery. You know, we're trying to discover new things, and we want to be on the frontier, and that means you've got to be pretty wacky and crazy to get a new okay. idea, you know. And so we're drawn to sort of wacky things, and of course we know life is absurd, don't we, Shane? It's ridiculous. You're sitting here talking to me. What the hell's going absurd. on? You know? So if you're a biologist, you begin to realise, or a physicist, the subatomic world, <laughs> it's absurd. You know? so, so therefore, when you read absurdity, you go, oh, I can relate to that, you know. So that's a good point. I think that's the reason why we like we like um, this book in particular. We know Blind Boy can talk. We know he can sing. C- can he write? Oh, he can. He can. And in fact, there's a couple of really good um, short stories in it that are beautiful language as well, by the way. It isn't all just crazy stuff going on, you know. But you know the famous chapter, and this could be rude, you know the famous one, he gets Michael Collins to have a relationship with De Valera. Have you come across this far? No, I haven't, but well, I will. Well, I don't know whether can we use <laughs> I, a rude, can we use a rude word? I think we him? can, yeah. yeah. The chapter's called Arse Children. So, <laughs> so De Valera says to Michael Collins, listen, he says, you can impregnate me. The Virgin Mary's given me the power to have babies. He says... <laughs> So they have sex. <laughs> and Devonair gives rise to these arse children who go and kill the Cairo gang. Remember them? Yeah. Collins had this yeah, guy yeah, who went around. Yeah, yeah. Devonair says, don't do that. I'll, I'll give birth to these. The Virgin Mary has given me this special power. Birth to these arse children. He dresses them in pelts from dogs that they've captured on the north side, you see. <laughs> and these dogs go out and kill the the, uh, the, the British officers, you know, and, and then Ireland saved. Now talk about a surreal <laughs> account of our two heroes in some ways, you know. Almost having, having sex, perhaps. Very much so. Yeah, but it's a great poke at Irish society this chapter by the way Shane, because he, he really does poke fun at the night now he's obviously I think he's a bit of a hero of 1916 he likes it but it's a wonderful satire in that era you know and, it's just, and the way this is just surreal stuff altogether so that's the, that's the famous short story in the book Brilliant choices so far uh, Luke O'Neill is our guest from the, uh, the Professor of Biochemistry in uh, Trinity College uh, Schrodinger Life and Thought by Walter Moore Sapiens by uh, Yuval Harari Ulysses by James Joyce The Gospel According to Blind Boy now your fifth choice it's a shared passion I think we, we both have uh, The Beatles but it's an interesting choice it's um, You Never Give Me Your Money yep. by Peter Doggett why this one because there's been you know a, sp- a rainforest of, uh, yeah. of books written about yeah. The Beatles why this particular well, one. Well, it's a great, again, I'm a, like, I'm a huge fan, so I read all the books, sadly. And isn't it funny how our generation still loves the Beatles? And, uh, and even the younger people coming up, my kids love them as well. Yeah. They seem to be uh, ne- never, never ending in a way. You know, this book is about the breakup and how they all hated each other, you see. And, yeah. And they fall out. And we know this is disappointing, see, Klein, isn't it, you'd, uh, the, you'd, um, the two wives of Paul, yeah, Paul and yeah. the, the people just like Apple, the mess that the was mess, Apple. And they were great friends. And, and I read it as kind of, if you fall out with your best buddy, kind of thing you know what that does to you and, and, and McCartney it's quite, gets depressed I always find it quite you know. sad uh, particularly how tragedy, Lennon yeah. and, and McCartney actually there's a beautiful song uh, that McCartney wrote afterwards about their relationship yeah. a very very poignant oh, very poignant yeah yeah and it, there's all kinds of psychological reasons getting
getting back to Ulysses in a way. I mean, this book has got on the psychology of them. Can you imagine being the most successful band ever? What that did to them, you know? Yeah. Now most you, of those. Can you be normal if that? Well, you can't. To you. And what's amazing is they stayed normal in a way. Like look at Paul Elvis or Michael Jackson or yeah. Prince. I mean, those guys had massive problems psychologically, you know. And Brian Wilson, other friends. The the Beatles didn't really get there, you know. And then Lennon did a bit. He went off the rails, there's no doubt, to some extent. Yeah. Um, but they kept it together really, and then they fall out. And Lennon himself said he was disappointed, and he, they forgive each other eventually. By the way, you know. And you see Lennon in an interview in the seventies talks about Gilbert and Sullivan. Remember those two guys? They they were they were um, operatic yeah, yeah, writers. Of course, yeah. They fell out. And then I said, I never wanted to be like that. <laughs> and yet I became that. You know, I fell out with my best mate there. We had an awful time. But, you know, so it's interesting. That was I, it familiarity, breeding contempt? Was it just the pressures they were under? Was it, I suppose, well, a bit of professional jealousy well, as again, well? Lennon, Lennon is good on this. It's like a marriage, she said. They began to irritate the hell out of each other. You know, and they've been together for 15 years in each other's pockets. And, and all the little quirks begin to irritate. And McCartney was a bit of a control freak, you know. And that begins to irritate them all. And Harrison gets very upset when McCartney's controlling character, you know. And the meme. Now, McCartney is the positive guy in this. McCartney was often maligned. But it becomes clear from this book as well that he was trying to hold it together. He, he was like the mammy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they all said... And, and even though the, uh, the, the Lennon fans hate to admit this, towards the end of the Beatles became the main creative oh, driving force. When you did. look at Sgt. Pepper and, the, and Abbey Road, he was the one kind of driving those. Absolutely. And Lennon fans, and I'm, I'm a fan of both, yeah. but they... They don't like to admit that. No, he's good on this, Shane. Lennon, or um, Doggett realises that McCartney's biggest desire was to impress Lennon all his life. Lennon was his hero, you know. Yeah. Okay. And whenever Lennon gave him the odd little scrap of praise, oh, fantastic, you know, he was dying for Lennon to give his approval. Because Lennon was a very powerful figure. You Huge know. personality. Yeah, so I guess the, that was the power struggle that was going on. McCartney then becomes the controller, which Lennon hates. And then, because Lennon sounds like was the leader, and that tension begins to build up as well, you see. And that must have been a big trigger for this. And Lennon gets jealous of him, I think, because McCartney writes, Hey Jude, which never has been hackneyed now we, we know it don't we but when that came out first it was the best song ever written you know? really and Lennon said you swine you got there you know, that <laughs> one, you know? <laughs> so the jealousy I think we got to, like all human relations sadly professional rivalry came to the fore you know and specifically this book does it tell the tale particularly well is it, it, is it particular insight it's very objective yeah and I think other books have been sort of biased against Lennon or against you always McCartney. knew one of them was yeah, on one side yeah, the book called Shout by Philip Norman was awful because it was anti-McCartney yeah he, he, wrote, he wrote another one recently praising McCartney's but no, this is balanced and, and it's like journalistic. I mean, he digs into the records. You know, he gets good evidence of all the meetings and Apple and all the fallout and so on. So it's a really good um, sort of objective account of, of, of the Beatles, I guess, and their whole career. Okay, I have to ask you, your, your favourite Beatles album, even though it's nothing to do with this book? Well, it's got to be Sgt. Pepper. Hasn't really? It? I've, I've got no question. Yeah, yeah. Day in the Life is their best song by A Country Mile. That, that'll live forever, that song, I think. No, of course, that's my pre- preference. And one to, of the rare songs that actually combines the two, or the, literally well, you can split it in half, you know, pretty George, much. Well, George Martin, their producer, said the two greatest songs they did was A Day in the Life and come together, interestingly, because all four of them, performed at their best on those two songs. Ringo's drumming is spectacular on Day in the Life. The fills between each verse is huge, you know. Yeah. You've got the bit in the middle by McCartney woke up out of bed. You've got Lennon's kind of dreamy, druggy, I yeah. read the news today part, you know. And then, and then Harrison's in there as well helping. So that song is a great example of great collaboration. And they, and they, they both realised when they recorded it, this is a fantastic piece of work. And it was them together as a group, really, you know, working together. So that's, okay. why, it's, that's why it's worked so well, I think. Abbey Road's my favourite album, actually. I have oh, to well, say. you can't beat Abbey Road either. It's very yeah. harsh. What, what's your favourite song, then? 
Oh, well, I love Golden Slumbers. Oh, yes, a great song, isn't it? Uh, that whole side too is just magic. Oh, it's just yeah. gorgeous. And Lennon hardly plays on that. Amazingly, he, he does mean Mr. Mustard, obviously, but uh, but he, he isn't on Golden Slumbers at all. You no, know? it's so strange, isn't it? You know, it that's is. mainly McCartney on his own, which is yeah. a fantastic achievement. Isn't it is. Somebody said to me, yeah, because um, it was it was number one last Christmas. Yeah. Oh yeah, have you heard this song Golden Slumbers by? And I, I can't even remember the band that that had it out. But some yeah, some cover version. Some, uh, and I was like, no, 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 hang on a minute. <laughs> I know the original. <laughs> yeah, yeah you gotta listen. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's quite a good band who brought it out like yeah, um, yeah. but uh, anyway and you never give your money of course comes itself. comes from from uh, Abbey Road, from Abbey yeah, Road. Yeah, exactly well the, the, the thing to remember is that the Beatles were about love ultimately in truth and that sounds a bit yeah hackneyed. they were no they were and, and even the Apple that very naive idea that you could set oh, up yeah. this kind of business altruistic um, yeah. uh, and McCartney said later in, in, in the anthology he said the thing he was most proud of was most of the songs weren't kill your parents or they're all about love you know that was yeah. the theme and of course the end on Abbey Road is fantastic isn't it they knew they were breaking up by then and in the end the love you take is I used it about my wife in my speech uh, at my wedding actually, oh yeah. you old softy yeah. isn't that fantastic <laughs> it went down well <laughs> it went down very well say, yes. uh, I, I heard Harrison talking years later about punk and you know it's so cool and like, I like a lot of the punk stuff but saying well you know we were telling people to love everybody and they were telling people to hate everyone yeah. so which would you prefer and yeah. hard to argue with that hard logic. to argue with that exactly yeah, yeah. and in fact in this book he's got on Harrison as well and that, Harrison's often neglected you know and he was very yeah. important too and, and, and the solo years are covered a bit yeah. and Harrison where, where Harrison really strange, blossomed but he's a strange guy he's very religious you know Harrison discovers the Eastern religions, and he goes with the Maharishi, and he stays very religious all his life, you know, uh, with the Hare Krishnas and all yeah, that. But yeah. meanwhile, he's got all these sports cars, he's living in a mansion. His life is very conflicted as, as he gets older, and he's, the talk is very good on this. And Ringo actually becomes an alcoholic in the 70s as well, and has troubles. And, and again, this book goes, you, you rarely read about that part of them, you know, but the talk goes into those things as well, which makes it interesting. Okay, fascinating stuff and fascinating choices. Luke O'Neill, I always enjoy listening to you when you're on with, uh, with Pat Kenny, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure. You're top five books let's just run through them very quickly Schrodinger Life and Thought by uh, Walter Moore Sapiens by Yuval Harari Ulysses by James Joyce The Gospel According to Blind Boy and You Never Give Me Your Money by Peter Doggett remind us your book Humanology Gale of the publishers yeah it's going to be hopefully it'll go down well no doubt it'll feature in a top five books very soon Uh, Luke O'Neill thanks indeed for your company now here are top five books there's a lot more interesting book recommendations and great guests in the podcast feed for you if you're listening on iTunes I'd appreciate if you could subscribe Subscribe and uh, if you can uh, leave us a comment or a rating if you've indeed enjoyed any of what you've heard. Uh, also, if you're on Twitter, you can of course follow us at Chains Top Five Books.